feel free to move forward a row or two if you fancy it. Sort of critical momentum when it comes to silence, isn't there? Where there's hubbub, hubbub, and then it reaches a certain, and then everyone just doesn't want to be the last one chatting. So, anyway, it's just an observation from up here. <laughs> Guys, welcome. Uh, if I haven't met you before, my name's Pat. Um, I'm the associate vicar here. Great to have you with us, especially. Thank you for coming on such a gorgeous day. Isn't it amazing? Summer is breaking in. Uh, grab a Bible, turn to page 960. 960. We're in the Gospel of Mark. And just as we're finding that, I'm going to pray quickly. And then we'll read it. So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for... Just the privilege it is to look at your word, to hear your words. Crazy to think that the book we're holding in our hands right now or looking at on our phone is your word, the creator of the universe. And that that word is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword can even divide soul and spirit. Lord, would you help us to honor it as such, to come to it with a reverence, with an awe, with an expectation that you will speak to us through it. And would you speak to us tonight? Lord, just as 2,000 years ago you rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, would you similarly ride Ride in here tonight and just ride into each of our hearts afresh by your Holy Spirit. And do what you want to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stunning weather, eh? Don't you? I mean, it, does it, I don't, if I'm the only one, like, it makes a difference to your walk with Jesus and being a Christian when the sun's out. Am I the only one? It's just easier to be a Christian when it's sunny for some reason. A sort of solar-powered uh, worshipper right here. Confess that. So more sun, Lord. Send it. Send it. Um, and the Lord, he wants to help us, doesn't he? Whatever it takes to, to keep us going, to keep us walking the walk. Because I want to start by asking you a question uh, tonight. A couple of questions. What will keep us going in the Christian life? What will mean that we go the distance? What will it take for us to be worshipping Jesus on our last day just as we're worshipping him today? Because let's be honest, from our own experience, our own lives, we know that not everyone makes it. And the passage we're about to read, we're going to see that. So let's read together. Chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. 
As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're doing this, say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. What will keep us going in the Christian life? Well, there are many answers to that question, but one of those things will be our expectations. Our expectations. And the passage we've just read tonight, what I want to show us tonight, is that life and our walk with Jesus, the Christian life, is all about our expectations. As Tim mentioned at the start of the service, we are at the beginning of, of Holy Week, Palm Sunday when Jesus rides into Jerusalem and it is a momentous week in the life of the church purely because it was a momentous week in the life of Christ. One that starts with him as we just read riding into Jerusalem hailed as a king but a few short days later a week that sees him strung up like a criminal to die on a cross. How did it come to this it was because of people's expectations and I want to show us um, try and show us today how people went in this story from such joy and excitement on one day praising the king to such apparent disillusionment and anger the next wanting him dead Because they start so well, don't they? I mean, if you just reflect back, think back to the story, what we just read. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, the climax of his ministry. I mean, they don't know that yet, but we do. And he's popular. I mean, why wouldn't he be? He's been doing miracles. He's been feeding the hungry. He's been raising the dead. He's been cleansing lepers. He's been walking on water. I mean, you just want to get around that guy, wouldn't you? You want to spend some time, just see if anything happened, just while you're hanging out, eating a sandwich on your lunch break. I don't know. Crowds followed him. He was popular. And as he approached Jerusalem, well, they started getting super excited. And they started sort of rolling out the red carpet for him. So we read of them sort of taking off their cloaks, I guess their jackets back then, to lay it on the ground in front of the donkey, the colt that he was riding on. They go up to the, the trees nearby and they, they cut the branches down. I th it's not the technical term. They're, they're fronds. They're palm fronds. That's the technical term for these branches. They, lie, they lay them down in front of the donkey. They even coin a brand new 80s worship ballad. You know that one? Blessed is the king who comes 
in the name of the Lord. Can you sing that? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Yeah. Um, they're loving him. And they're loving life. And yet, flick on. Grab your Bibles. You've got chapter 11 there. Flick on just a few pages with me. I want everyone seeing this. To chapter 15, page 966. So that's just a few pages in this book. That's just four chapters in Mark's gospel. And a few things have happened since he's ridden into Jerusalem. He's gone on to do a bit more teaching. Um, he's got on people's faces with his challenging teaching. Uh, he's been anointed at Bethany. He has celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples. He's prayed in Gethsemane. He's been arrested. And now he's been brought before Pilate. And we're in chapter 15 and verse 6. And basically, Pilate had the right to release to them a prisoner of their choice. And Pilate was on Jesus' side. He saw that this was an innocent man. He, he knew something was going on. So he gave the people every opportunity to release him. This is how the story goes. Verse 6. Now it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to get Pilate to release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then? With the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked him. Asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder. Crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The crowd, the same crowd who'd been hailing and worshipping Jesus, being good Christian boys and girls, just a few days before, now want nothing to do with him. They wish that he was dead. They cry out, crucify. They ask Pilate to release Barabbas instead. From Hosanna to crucify in four short days? What happened? I want to call tonight's talk, What is Your Barabbas? Because that's the journey we're on, to see how the crowd went from where they were, hailing Jesus, to calling out for Pilate to release Barabbas. What is Your Barabbas? Because we've all got one. Those things we go to and look to when we feel that God has let us down. When we feel that God hasn't come through for us. And those Barabbases, Barabbi perhaps, are determined by our expectations. To grasp what's going on here and how it's possible for us to do the same even today, we need to understand a little bit the mindset of the Jewish people back then. You see, the Jews, the context here is the Jews were a people of expectation. They were a people of faith. 
They were people who'd been watching, waiting for the coming of the promised Messiah. You see that, don't you? When, when Jesus has been born and Mary and Joseph bring him into the temple, just wrapped in swaddling clothes or whatever. And Simeon, we read of that, he's the old guy. He's been there. He's just been worshiping night and day. And it says of him, he has been waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting his entire life, looking, watching, faithfully for when God will act. And he knows when Jesus comes into the temple. He knows that God has acted and his promise has come. The Christ is here. And he utters those amazing words, which we all know. Now, Lord, let your servant depart in peace. From my eyes have seen the glory of your salvation. Israel was a nation waiting for the consolation of their country, waiting for their Messiah. Now, Messiah literally means, just need to do a bit of teaching, a bit of history with you. You ready to go with this? So a bit, bit for us to learn and study. Messiah, I learned this week. Uh, well, I did sort of know it before, but I learned some other stuff. Literally means anointed one. Uh, so what they would do in the Old Testament is they would take oil and they would uh, anoint a king, a priest, or a prophet with oil, setting them apart for the work that God has called them to do. So you see David, King David, get anointed by Samuel when he's just a shepherd. You see Aaron, the priest, get anointed before he begins his work before the Lord, serving as priest. It was to anoint with oil. So throughout Israel's history and in the Old Testament, we see a number of messiahs, messiahs with a little m. But every Jew knew that the Bible spoke of a special, unique messiah who was due to come into the world and fulfill all of God's plans and promises for Israel, establishing and securing their nation once again, ushering in the kingdom of God over which he, the Messiah, would rule forever. Now, their Bible told them that this Messiah would be divine, yes, but also human. Daniel uses the title Son of Man for this coming Messiah, this ruler. Jesus used that, that title of himself. He loved it. Speaks of his humanity. The Bible said, told them that the Messiah would be a servant but he'd also be a prophet, a prophet like Moses who'd been before, a priest to God's people. But above all else, Israel, the Jewish people's Bible, what they had at the time, told them that this Messiah would be a king and a conquering king at that, bringing all things under his authority. That was the picture they had in mind. This was the kind of Messiah they were waiting for. And they'd been waiting a long time. It had been some 400 years. They hadn't had a prophet in Israel, in the nation, for 400 years. No fresh word of the Lord for 400 years. Can you imagine how hungry they were, how thirsty, how desperate for God to act? And they had continued to wait and long for his coming. They'd wondered at God's silence. And they'd suffered in the meantime. We know that when Jesus was born, he was born into an occupied country, wasn't he? I mean, Rome had come and invaded Judea, conquered it in 63 BC. So when Jesus comes, the context for this passage is that it is an occupied country. All of this, sort of teaching over, heavy teaching. 
All of this is to help us understand the context that this passage happens within. The context for the nation of Israel. And it's key for us to understand that historical reality, but also to understand their theological expectations of who the Messiah was going to be. Because only then, only when we grasp that a little bit, can we begin to grasp the excitement that they would have had at the Messiah coming to them. Just imagine the excitement of a young man in those days who hears the Christ, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, is coming to Jerusalem. He's making his way here. He's riding into the city. Imagine his excitement, living in an occupied nation, seeing the fulfillment of God's plans. Imagine perhaps that this young man, he'd seen the suffering of his people under Rome. Perhaps he'd known loved ones, friends who'd, who died in skirmishes with the Romans, in uprisings. Perhaps he, he'd had a cousin or a sister who'd, who'd suffered, who'd been abused at the hands of a soldier after a dr drunken night out. Perhaps he'd had his own home, his family home, robbed, pillaged by those same soldiers. The hatred of Rome went deep. And now he was hearing, with all of his friends, with the whole city that was stirred, hearing that the Messiah was on his way. Can you imagine the excitement? I mean, by way of illustration, we preachers at moments like this, it's, it's hard to think of illustrations that are on the same scale, isn't it? So where do we like to go? We go to World War II, don't we? That's just a safe bet. It's a banker. We've all seen the images. We know. Occupied France, the towns, the villages, occupied by the Nazis for months, years. People longing for freedom, longing for peace. And then the American tanks roll in. And that wave of, of evil is pushed back. Darkness lifts and celebration happens. The flags come out again. The champagne corks, whatever champagne remained, uh, are popped. Maybe some cheap wine. You know, the odd kiss is just smacker is put on the, the lips of a coming uh, American soldier. I don't know. Take your pick. It's that sort of excitement. But even more, that World War II example is just a fragment of the excitement that all of Jerusalem must have been feeling at this time, on this day. The Messiah was here. The conquering king had arrived. It was only a matter of time before evil, uh, evil Rome was driven out, pushed back. Only a matter of time before he established his kingdom and took and sat on the throne of his father, David. What a glorious time to be alive. That's what they expected, right? But what did they get? Well, instead they got a Messiah who rather than riding in on a, on a proud white stallion, a symbol of military strength and power, rides in on a, a humble donkey. Not even a donkey, I mean the colt. It's like the child of a donkey, the foal. Of a donkey. It's like Jesus, like, what's the most humble beast? I don't want a stallion, I'll take a donkey. It's like, anything more humble than a donkey, I'll take the donkey's foal. Even less importance. A Messiah who rather than coming, coming against the Romans, coming at them with everything he's got and encouraging people to rise up together, instead of doing that, he makes a whip out of cords and he drives uh, from the temple, the sellers, the Jewish people seeking to earn a living. 
He disciplines his own people, gives them a harder time than he does the enemy. Instead, they get a Messiah who, far from walking in ever-increasing victory once he's entered Jerusalem, seems to be losing power and support, seems to be heading for defeat. Indeed, by the time we next see and read of this crowd, Jesus, this Messiah, this much-awaited deliverer, has been arrested. He's been imprisoned. And Think of the crowd. What must they be thinking? Hardly the stuff of God's chosen one, right? The one who was to see in the return of the glory days of Israel. Is it any wonder, therefore, that they cried out, crucify? Is it any surprise that they chose Barabbas? I mean, at least Barabbas had something about him, right? He was in prison for murder, an insurrection. At least he'd given it a go against the Romans. That's what they were looking for. Give us Barabbas, the people cried. We're done with Jesus. He's come up short. He's not met our expectations. And meeting those expectations... Well, that's all we really care about. Not interested in following this humble, suffering Messiah. You see, the people here that we've read about, the crowds, the masses, they wanted deliverance from Rome. They ultimately wanted peace. They wanted good things. I mean, isn't that what we all long for? Isn't that what we all want? Peace in our own lives, peace in our world. When we read of Syria, when we see the reports on the news, don't we just cry out, long for peace at any cost, just bring it. That's what they wanted because they're human beings. And yet the irony of it was that the only way to find that peace was standing right there in front of their eyes. It's just that they couldn't see him and they couldn't see God's plan. And so in Luke's gospel, in his account, parallel account of this story, he he details the riding in, you know, the fanfare, the 80s ballad, and then having ridden in, it says of Jesus, verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. That prophecy, of course, was fulfilled when Israel gave it a go in AD 70, and there was an uprising against the Romans, you know, Barabbases, Barabbai of all sorts, you know, coming out the woodwork. 
and the, the rebellion was crushed. Jerusalem was sacked, destroyed, the temple flattened. You know, there's only two references in the Gospels to Jesus ever weeping. One is at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, who passed away, died, weeping at the grief caused by man's great enemy, sin and death. The second reference is here. Weeping at Israel's inability to see that he, the Messiah, God's chosen one, had come to deal with that enemy once and for all. Expectations determine everything. Israel thought their greatest need was peace on the outside through getting rid of their enemies, Rome, external peace. They couldn't see that God was far more concerned with bringing about internal peace, making peace with God, their creator, their father, through dealing with their sin and shame and death, by taking it on himself on the cross, being the true lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because that's who he is. This unexpected Messiah. Because that's what was required. So let me ask you a question today. What are your expectations of Jesus? Because the reality is, if we have the wrong ones, or in this Christian thing for the wrong reasons, we may too go from shouting Hosanna this evening to crying crucify tomorrow. And isn't that what we do, what people do when they walk away from Jesus, when they lose hope, when they turn their back on the faith? Hebrews describes it as crucifying the Son of God once again and subjecting him to public disgrace. You see, if we have the wrong expectations of who Jesus is and what he's come to do, then we'll likely really struggle when he doesn't come through on those things. So if we think that he came, the Messiah came, if we think that being a Christian is about having an easy life, not facing any challenges or battles in our Christian walk, then we'll be disillusioned when we find ourselves in the midst of a firefight with all of hell's forces unleashed against us. If we think that being a Christian, growing in the likeness of Jesus will just happen like that. We'll just grow in sanctification and go from glory to glory. Will happen, if we think it'll happen without self-control, without discipline, then we'll be disappointed at how much hard work it actually takes to be a follower of Christ in the 21st century. If we think being a Christian means that we'll prosper, that we'll never face financial difficulty, that our career will just go from strength to strength and we'll sort of float on a cloud, then we'll be tempted to walk away from Jesus if we ever face financial hardship or challenge comes our way. 
we think being a Christian means that God will always hedge around us and our loved one's health so that sickness never touches us and we don't have to deal with grief or suffering or our shared humanity in that regard, then we may well be tempted to call for Barabbas when what we really care about is touched. Because, you see, that's what it comes down to, guys. What is first in your hearts and your lives? What do you really, really care about? Is it Jesus? Jesus alone? Or is it Jesus? Yeah, Jesus. But Jesus plus something else. Family, relationship, finance, health, reputation, whatever it is. And this isn't to say, guys, that God doesn't care about the stuff I just mentioned. We know what a good father he is. He cares so much. And he's got our best in his heart. But it is merely to say that when we have Jesus... When we know him, when we trust in him, when we simply follow and obey, like the disciples do in this story. They've been following him three years now. They must have felt quite qualified. He commands two of them, go and untie a donkey and bring it to me. I mean, you imagine they're just, these are going, what? A donkey? You give me something more important to do. They just trust. They obey, they do it. And we're here today reading this because they did. When we're like those disciples, when we just fix our eyes on Jesus and make it all about him, not Jesus plus something else. Well, whenever any of those other challenges come along, somehow we find the strength to deal with them, don't we? And they just find their place. The crowd called out for Barabbas because what they cared about most was peace. More than Jesus. More than following a humble, suffering servant of a Messiah. But I promise you today that if you choose Jesus this holy week, if you track with him, if you keep journeying with him, putting him first in your heart and in your lives, well, you will find peace that flows like a river. You will find the only peace available. And you will find a joy that is without end, that begins now, bubbles up, and goes on into eternity. The life for which we're all headed. And it is about eternity, guys. Part of the issue is is that we want it all now. And we see this with the disciples, don't we? Just look at verse 10. It says... They've hailed him as blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They got that right. Jesus was coming in the name of the Lord. But then they say, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. And yes, yes, it was coming. But it wasn't coming when they hoped. It wasn't coming on that day. They thought it was for now. And so they lost heart when they discovered 
but there was a delay. Give us Barabbas. And don't we see that in our own lives? Aren't we tempted to reach for something else, to call out for someone else? Don't we see it in friends or loved ones, people we know who used to walk with the Lord, who used to share this faith, love him, worship him, lay their cloaks before him, but who've lost heart and who've walked away? And why? Well, nine times out of ten, it's because life hasn't gone the way they hoped. It's because they somehow attached God and Jesus to some more worldly hope or ambition. And when that thing doesn't come about, oh, there's always Barabbas. I think of someone I love very much who came to faith some years ago, walked in it, loved the Lord, just worshipped in such a beautiful way, had such a childlike faith. And then the battles come, the challenges. Relationships didn't go his way. Career didn't pan out, hasn't yet, quite as he hoped. Financial struggle. And he asked himself, what's the point? It's not worth it. And he walked away. He looked for another savior, another Barabbas. And this is the challenge we all face because it's the great tension in the Christian life that theologians like to call the now and the not yet. Yes, the kingdom has come. But how much we should expect now, well, that's a matter of debate. I personally like what Bill Johnson says, pastor of a church in the United States called Bethel Church, who says that there, they're simply doing an experiment in how much of the not yet we can have now. Don't you like that? How much of the not yet we can have now? And I think we should do the same. We should praise the Lord. We should cry Hosanna. We should lay our lives down at his feet. We should ask him boldly for things, for blessings, for jobs, for healings, for the stuff of the kingdom, because he's a good, good father. But we should also recognize that ultimately the decision is his. And it's in his loving wisdom to decide whether to give us from the not yet. Now. So let's not pin our hopes too much on those things. Let's pin our hopes solely on Jesus Christ. Because he's a faithful Messiah, isn't he? And a loving saviour who far from stopping short on this journey into Jerusalem, stopping short and bringing external peace and material blessings, he continued his journey into that great city. He stayed true to being the unexpected Messiah, washing his disciples' feet in the upper room, sweating drops of blood in Gethsemane, allowing himself to be arrested by corrupt men, Experiencing a sham trial, suffering beatings, a crown of thorns, a flogging that nearly took his life. Before ultimately being nailed to a cross and left to die in the burning sun. But three days later. What a Lord. What a Messiah. So unexpected.
but so desperately needed. He came to die in the place of sinners, sinners like Pontius Pilate, sinners like Caiaphas, the high priest, and the Pharisees, sinners like Barabbas, sinners like you and me. And if we're to keep on praising, if we're to keep on shouting Hosanna all of our days, then we'll need to manage our expectations and keep our eyes fixed on him and him alone. Amen. Let's take a moment.